doing startups in finance. There are a lot of really smart people who have a lot of really interesting approaches on ways to succeed. So it's really important that you don't believe your own hype or believe your own morals, like do the prep work, be ready for whatever comes your way. Welcome to the Disruptive Innovators Champions of Digital Business podcast, where IT and digital leaders from around the world talk about their careers, their inspiration, and their vision for the future of digital business. I'm your host, David Wright. The world of digital business is evolving faster than ever, and I want this to be a place where digital business champions create a village to band together and help each other navigate the ever-changing terrain. Disruptive Innovators features conversations with CIOs and digital leaders from around the world, diving into their personal backstory, career, their current role, trends they've been seeing, and their vision for the future, personally, professionally, and otherwise. This podcast is made for people who are seeing how quickly the digital business landscape is evolving. Those who recognize that it takes a village of trusted advisors to navigate this ever-changing terrain. People who enjoy listening to high-level discussions surrounding what it means to be a leader, real-world examples of challenges faced, and industry-specific strategies leveraged to create exceptional business outcomes. This episode is brought to you by Disruptive Innovations, a leading tech consulting firm that helps enterprise organizations with their IT strategy, process optimization, and workflow improvement. Contact them and find out more at disruptiveinnovations.net. Good afternoon, friends. David Wright here, and I'm your host of the Disruptive Innovators Champions of Digital Business podcast. And this afternoon, I am lucky enough to be joined by Jim Miller. Jim, how's it going, my friend? It's going very well. Thank you. And yourself? Yeah, I'm doing all right. First day back from vacation, running around like a chicken with my head cut off, but happy to be speaking with you for sure. I appreciate you having me on. Yeah, absolutely. So Jim, for those of our listeners who may not know, can you tell everyone a little bit about your current role? Sure. I'm the Chief Technology Officer for Markets Voice and Video at Symphony. Basically means everything we do around collaboration and voice comes through my team. Yeah. Really excited to dive deeper into the work that you're doing at Symphony. We have a lot of listeners in the financial services sector, so excited for that. Before we do... I want to dive deeper into your personal backstory. And even prior to that, we like to just start our episode with just one piece of actionable advice you might look to leave our listeners with today. Yeah, it's pretty basic. I think Nike made a huge brand on it. I think it, whatever your dream is, just go for it. I see too many people who think, oh, it's not the right time and or the situation isn't perfect. I think Perfection never happens. And so if you believe in yourself and you trust that you can make things happen, if it all goes badly, just go for it and believe in it. Stop overthinking. Just make it happen. I love that. It's like flying over my skis has been like something that has gotten me to where I am. And it's taken falling on my face at least a few times, you know, (laughs) so, but I wouldn't have gotten there if I hadn't started. And you got back up and did it again or did something even crazier, right? So, true. You know, it, it's easy to convince yourself why you shouldn't try it. It's better and harder, but more rewarding to convince yourself to try it. Love that. 
So Jim, let's talk a little bit about you as a person, as an executive. You know, you're the CTO of this huge financial services firm. How did you start out and how did you get to the point in your career that you're at today? You know, I started with a pretty boring career. I worked for a consulting firm, did standard stuff a lot for the government, some private sector things. I was a developer and fairly boring projects. But in 1998, 99, started working with some friends and the internet bubble was very huge at the time. So, you know, I was, hey, I'm going to do this internet thing. And so got bitten fully by the startup bug. Been doing that ever since. For the most part, my startup experience has been on really ground floor things. So early stage, I was either founder or co-founder or one of the first employees. The startup energy and the family feeling has been something that I've craved ever since. And it's just a lot of fun. Symphony is a little bigger, but it still feels, has a lot of startup feel in it. So I seem to always seek out the startup situations where I can show my creativity. I'm not a creative person, but in a startup, you have to be a lot of things and it forces me out of my box. Yeah. And, you know, I feel like sometimes as technologists, we don't give ourselves enough credit for our unique brand of creativity, or at least I could speak for myself personally, because I don't consider myself really a creative. But then occasionally I'll take a step back at something that my team and I built and I'm like, "Ah, actually, it is a little creative, you know, in its own way. Yeah, it's an interesting point because I think in a lot of times in technology, it takes a while to go from point A to point B. And if you're looking at yourself in small slices of time, like I haven't done that much, but if you step back, it looks a lot more impressive. I used to run marathons, haven't done it in a while, but a marathon is made up of a lot of miles, each mile of its own. And if you look at it that sense, if you think, oh, I got to run 26 miles, it's really daunting. But you think, I can run this one mile and look at what you've accomplished. That's pretty rewarding. Right. Or even just a line of code. If I'm writing it, it's just a line of code, right? But then, right. you know, if it ultimately becomes an amazing application or whatever it is. So what would you say is one of the most important things that you've learned over the course of your journey, personally, professionally, or otherwise? And what was life like before learning it and after learning it? Yeah, it's an interesting one because I it's something I probably learned later than I should have. But to me, one of the most important thing is do the prep work, right? Be prepared for what's coming. I always thought of myself maybe a little too arrogantly as that I'm very smart and I have good intelligence. But the assumption I made for too long was, yeah, that's fine. That'll give me what I need to do, right? I'll be successful because I have that a good brain. And you realize after you're out there and doing startups or in finance, there are a lot of really smart people who have a lot of really interesting approaches on ways to succeed. So it's really important that you don't believe your own hype or believe your own laurels, like do the prep work, be ready for whatever comes your way. So before I learned this, I would show up to meetings unprepared and I'd look foolish or I wouldn't accomplish a particular task just because I didn't do enough legwork. Since then, of course, I still make mistakes and I still fail, but I usually make mistakes out of a misunderstanding instead of lack of preparation. And I think it's 
really important to go into situations where I'm meeting with a big bank and if I'm not prepared, they're just going to rip me to shreds. So be prepared, do the prep work. My business coach always tells me or my team that there are mistakes of ambition and mistakes of sloth. Mistakes of ambition, acceptable. Mistakes of sloth, we need to dig a little deeper into that. Like what's the underlying cause or lesson that needs to be learned there? So Jim, you kind of mentioned something right there, but is there a time that sticks out in your mind as a time that you had a project that failed or you had a challenge over the course of your career, but you had a profound moment of growth that led out of it or something that came of it that you were, you know, that it served you on an ongoing basis? Yeah, I think one of my first startups, a company called CreditX, I didn't really understand the product we dealt in, which was credit default swaps. And then there was a couple meetings with potential investors or potential clients. And, you know, I just shot myself in the foot of not understanding what I should have understood. And it was, you walk out just going, how do I make that mistake? I've never done it, at least not as severe as that. It ended up being a successful startup. We sold it to ICE in 2008. And had we not come together as a team, we'd have failed to get to that point. And again, I think it's more about, you know, I had a great team working with me, but they, along with me, figured out here the steps that we need to make sure we're ready for when we deal with a JP Morgan or a Goldman or a City, some of the biggest customers we had. 100%. That's a good one. Something that I had to learn myself as well. Traders are really smart, right? And they will expose that you don't understand what they're doing. Not intentionally, not necessarily cruelly, but they will let you know that you don't have a clue if you aren't prepared, basically. I hear that. So, Jim, I want to dive a little bit deeper into what you guys are up to now. Before I do, we like to just ask a favorite book or literary piece, either that you're currently reading, I've read recently, or all time, your choice, whatever you'd like to discuss. So one of my favorite all time is a book called What Got You Here Won't Get You There. And it's similar to what we've been talking about. It's about the things you've done well to get to this point won't get you further up in your career. It's, it's an interesting one. But my most recent book that I'm really fascinating and, and a little bit depressing to read was a book called This Is How They Tell Me the World In. It's basically a book about hacking and the risk, security risk around all the systems in the world and how effectively there's town hackers that are Russia and the Middle East and South America who could destroy most of the infrastructure of the world if they want to. And so it's just, I said, it was impressive and very scary just to how easy things are hacked and just what the incentives are around preventing or collaborating with the hackers. It's scary, man. I mean, it is really scary. I haven't read the book, but I've read some articles and know some people and it's just, it could be bad. You go to war in conventional warfare, you at least understand what you're fighting against. But if someone's cutting off your power or your water or whatever else, I mean, it's really intimidating. It, it's a very good read, but it, it's also quite depressing or quite scary at times. I'm going to still check it out. So thanks for that, Jim. On a more upbeat note, 
you're the the CTO at Symphony. Tell us a little bit about your vision for IT and digital as it's derived from the overall mission of the organization. Sure. Our focus is collaborative tools in the trading space, typically. I joined Symphony from a company called Cloud9. Cloud9 basically re-architected how trader telephony worked to move it to the cloud, hence the name. And it really was the idea of replacing old school telephones with modern voice over IP technology that will scale, that will let you go anywhere, higher audio quality, richer data set around everything that you're communicating. And then obviously security, given what we were just talking about, a much higher level of security around the interaction that you typically would have over this collaboration technology. So that's the backdrop. And one of the interesting things that we're focused on now is bringing together a lot of the technologies that are very popular being talked about a lot. So generative AI, voice transcription, all those are really going to become critical in the trader voice space over the next couple of years, simply because when I talk to you on the phone on a call like this, used to be, even if you record it, somebody would have to listen to it and pull it apart. But now with transcription and generative AI, you could actually have a summary and get sentiment of what this conversation was about, bring out key elements of it. And so that is a central part of what we are trying to achieve with Symphony, really bringing together a full range of conversations, whether it's chat, audio, analyze it across the, the whole set of conversations or interactions you have as a trader within your company and external to the company, and then be able to understand what are the trading insights, what are the sentiment that is there in near real time. It won't be fully real time, but it'll be very close. And I think it'll change the way, not electronic trading is, but some more of the typical what has been voice trading over the past five, 10 years. Super cool. So... Are you seeing any use cases in your arena for generative AI for knowledge management for traders integrated into Cloud9? Is that something that could be potential for? About a year ago, a little less than a year ago, Symphony, we acquired a company called Amenity Analytics. They are an AI shop and they have a lot of uh, expertise in this area. So yeah, absolutely. This is a key focus of ours. The use case is Everybody on my desk is having conversations. How do I look at that and understand where the market is heading by looking at that data in a holistic sense using generative AI and understanding everybody is really hot on Tesla, everybody's cold on Tesla. What are the trading opportunities around that? Digging deeper into the various visions on what the market should be doing. And the other thing which I should touch on is I think generative AI will be a major player in the compliance space where listening to or replaying a transcription of an audio conversation and identifying concerning discussions as flagged for the compliance officer is going to change compliance fairly quickly, probably more so than anything else immediately, just because compliance is a very low-hanging fruit in terms of it's a good spin for the large financial companies because Whatever they spend, they typically get back by avoiding cons. I don't know why I just thought of this, but like 
I started thinking about people potentially using generative AI to like mock up audio recordings and save them as like conversations that took place but actually didn't. Because a lot of the companies that we look at, they're kind of dipping their or work with or talk to, dipping their toe in the water with generative AI, but they don't really have the structure in place internally to really walk down that path. It sounds like you guys are walking down that path. What have you guys done from compliance, from regulatory advisory, from that standpoint to ensure that kind of those topics are being discussed and that you're developing kind of a suite of best practices that the company can work from? So for the most part, we're not building the tool sets themselves. We're looking at partnering with other firms. So in the compliance space, we're making the raw materials available. So we're giving the voice, the audio recordings and the transcriptions and then working with, you know, a tool that can do some analysis on that. And they can actually run it through theirs. We are trying to focus on our niche of enabling collaboration and communication between the various traders, but then using the artifacts of that conversation and feeding it into a vendor who specializes it. And some of them are big techs, right? Some of them are, are extremely well-known names. Some of them are, are not outside of the world of finance. Nobody knows who they are, but they really right. focus on the niche. They have a compliance niche and they can look at a transcription and understand where this doesn't look right. So we're going to flag it as a compliance concern. No, it's super cool. That makes a lot of sense to modulize that and take advantage of those types of companies. How about some of the biggest challenges that Symphony might be facing as an organization today? Well, in my world, one of the biggest challenges is the fact that the world in finance used to be all, everybody was at their desk five days a week. You knew where they were. They had a very stable and consistent setup. And now people are everywhere. And so in terms of their tool sets, in terms of just their what they're running on. BDI is a big deal. And because we're in the audio space, there's a lot more variables when you get into people working from home, as you probably know from doing the podcast, just a lot of different setups and situations. That's a big challenge for sure. I think similar to that, as mentioned earlier, we have people working all over the world and that just changes the work dynamic. It used to be managed people are all in the same office. Now it's all hybrid or people are everywhere. I think on the tech side, my biggest challenge from my standpoint is there's a lot of very interesting new technologies like generative AI coming. But in finance, there's always people dreaming bigger than their organization can support. And I like to say that trading desks specifically, are very evolutionary, not revolutionary. They don't change that fast. And so there's a lot of, hey, we'd love to get this generative AI model applied to everything we're doing, but the business isn't ready because the client doesn't understand how to use it or the head of the desk doesn't know how to use it. So I think the biggest challenge is the expectation and desire over what they want and how to align the technologies that are coming up, they tend to be mismatched quite a bit. I think the education too, because kind of like you're saying, leveraging 
an established entity versus bringing a large language model like into my organization. There's different things, right? So I think that people who are working in financial services don't necessarily understand what generative AI is or can do inherently. Especially the people who are the typical users of our technology because they're super smart, but they're dealing in their very relatively narrow world about, you know, it's bid ask and how do I maximize my profit out of the trade flow, right? So, Which I have no idea about personally. So you're in a continually more distributed environment. You're managing a significant team. What are some of the best practices you guys follow? That's a really good one. I think we've spent a lot of time at upgrading our architecture to be much more a microservices architecture. So it gives us the ability to be a lot more nimble in how we're delivering. You know, I think moving everything. Obviously, we are all cloud-based. And I think one of the things that we've advanced really is the ability to do everything we do in the cloud. And that's not particularly innovative today, but it was when we started doing it about six years ago. And frankly, got a lot of fight back from some of the bigger players in the market. They didn't want to be associated with a cloud provider in this case, and COVID changed all that. But I think the best practices around, we are multi-regional in our technology cloud. We are very capable and able to handle relatively significant disruption among the cloud providers because of the architecture of a lot of redundancy and the capabilities are distributed globally or regionally. Yeah, we're definitely an agile shop and so believe in doing things in small chunks, but it doesn't feel like that when you're in the middle of it, that's for sure. I hear that. A couple last questions for you, Jim. One would be, you know, we talked about generative AI. Are there any other innovative projects or technologies that you're excited about that are on, are on the horizon for you know, near-term, mid-term, long-term? One of the things we're really focusing on now is around what we call a federation strategy, and that is allowing our users to connect both in terms of chat texting and also voice. So connect into our user base from whatever technology they're on now. So if I'm on WhatsApp, I can communicate in a secure, compliant way with somebody who's on Symphony. There's been a lot of reports of of very large fines, hundreds of millions of dollars to several of, of the bigger banks in the world because they didn't have a compliant way to communicate. And I think making it seamless for our user base, which is at large financial institutions, but talking outside to somebody who isn't in finance and they have WhatsApp or they have WeChat, that technology is really interesting in bringing that together to make it so I don't need to know any details about you, David. I can just communicate with you yeah, and I use WhatsApp, but I do in a way that not only I have the data in a secure way and I've done everything that meets the regulatory compliance issues, but also I feedback into the generative AI analytical side of it and say, okay, what is this conversation about and how do I look outside of just the org in terms of what conversations are happening? That's super cool. It'll be really interesting. And I think we've made a lot of progress, again, partnering with some interesting vendors, but I think there's a lot of progress we've made over the last six months or so to, to really advance this forward. 
Okay. This question kind of dovetails into my next question would just be, where do you see the financial services industry going in general in the future? Keeping in mind, you don't have a, a crystal ball, but what do you think might be some of the biggest changes as time passes? Like I said before, I see a lot of trading technology specifically as being very evolutionary versus revolutionary. I do think some of the things we talked about are going to get really hot over the next 12 months or so. And it's around voice transcription and applying analytics around that. I think that's going to be huge to the firm or firms that tap it earliest. They'll make a ton of money, I think, around just the trading side of it. They'll be more effective at what, how they trade. So I think there's going to be a lot of money thrown at that. I think overall, too, how people communicate cross-firm is going to change. You know, it used to be phone lines or private wires. And, and I'm having that conversation you know, with some of the federated things we're doing, which is some of the technology we built out at Symphony and others. Communication will be way less and a lot more frictionless. Felt badly stated, but have a lot less friction in terms of the interaction. Instead of picking up a phone to call you, you know, I'm just going to message you on whatever technology makes sense to message you. To me, it's equivalent to 10 years ago, nobody texted first and then you'd use your phone to call and then you may throw a text in there. Now we all text first and call second. And I think that's the way we communicate, especially in the trading world is going to be flipped on its head and it'll be still a bunch of audio communication, but it's going to be built on top of just a whole different paradigm. Super exciting. Last question for you would be, if you could go back five or 10 years in time, what advice would you give your younger self? Well, the first thing I do is tell my younger self to buy as much Bitcoin as I could. (laughs) Uh, (laughs) Seriously, if I look at it on a personal level, I just be more aware of just your personal well-being, your health, and your mental state. I think we now work with a lot of symphony people are based in Europe, France, and Sweden. And they just live a much more work-life balance that I'm impressed with. And so just take care of yourself better. On a professional level, similar to the things we talked about, I think it's be more focused on the importance of data in every system you're building and the potential for machine learning to change how you look at data. I think those are the two things that I would really focus on. If I look in 10 years ago, you know, make sure everything has the data element and we can process the data and get inside more cleanly. I wish you would have given my younger self that advice as well. Jim, thank you so much for being on today. It was an absolute pleasure having you. I appreciate the time. It was a lot of fun. Yeah. And to our listeners, thank you for tuning in and we will catch you all next week. Thank you for listening to the Disruptive Innovators Champions of Digital Business podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, please leave a five-star review and subscribe to enjoy future episodes. This episode is brought to you by Disruptive Innovations, a leading tech consulting firm that helps enterprise organizations with their IT strategy, process optimization, and workflow improvement. Contact them and find out more at disruptiveinnovations.net.